On this week's Inside Marketing, I'll be joined by Adam Harrison, who's worked in Google and Facebook and is now in a startup, Weaver, as we talk about life after big tech. Big tech have made the headlines again this week with another wave of redundancies and layoffs. So we'll be chatting about what you do if you find yourself in that position, how employable people are having worked in Google and Facebook, and what you can expect if you're moving from Google and Facebook back out into the world of startups. So that's life after big tech with Adam Harrison only on this week's Inside Marketing. The Inside Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions. Hello and uh, yeah, welcome to this week's Inside Marketing. As I said in the intro, yeah, it's a pretty timely one because there's a lot of stories in the news about big tech. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be talking about life after big tech and like they're always making the headlines for for layoffs and, and redundancies because... I know that the media, the media love, they love to jump on that. And, you know, some people, it's hard to have sympathy for some of these companies, which we'll get into in a second. But um, I am delighted to be joined by Adam Harrison, who has lots of experience in this area. You've worked in big tech. Um, so thanks. Firstly, we'll, we'll chat in a sec. But firstly, thanks for joining me, Adam. Thanks for making the time. Honoured. Thanks very much, Dave. Yeah. So it's going to be a good one. It is. It's timely with the news cycle. So, um, yeah, you, you've lots of experience about that. Um, and there's, there's loads of announcements about layoffs. I always think some, maybe they get a hard time on this sometimes um, because I think even last week, um, just the day before Paddy's Day, there's a, there were two days before, there's an announcement that they were laying off another 10,000 jobs, Facebook, yeah. I think, and you know 50 Irish jobs. So the media lap this stuff up. They love it when 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 there's a bit of bad news. Um, and I, I just don't know. I mean, that, I don't, it still doesn't feel like a huge number to me, 50 jobs. It doesn't feel like it should be getting the coverage, but we, we'll unpack that in a minute. But I guess it's just the big story globally. And I think people like when they, these kind of fairy tale stories of exponential growth and year on year, double digit growth when, when they start to feel a bit of pain. So I'm going to start off, you wrote a brilliant article. It's in it's in today's Irish Times. So for anybody who hasn't read it, I, I, I mean, we'll chat about the, the bones of today, but it's it's a great read. It's really, I really like the, the headline in it, like they're giving you the red pill, life after big tech. So I'd urge anyone to, who's listened to read it. But um, so before we get into it, can you just give me a bit of a background to you? So where you worked, um, you know, any, any, you can, you can say whatever you want here. It's a safe space. You can, you can tell tales, you can say whatever you want. Um, so what your experience was, what you did, what your roles were in big tech, and then just give me kind of a, just for context, what you're doing now, just so I can get my head into it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, going right back to the beginning, I suppose I'm a Wicklow native, but now living in London for about 15 years with stints abroad in Spain and Brazil. I left university with dreams of becoming an interpreter because I did languages in university, but that didn't work out. Okay. Didn't know which way I wanted to go. Right. Ended up tech. Got the managed to get through the interviews at Google and was pretty quite happy that I that I did so. So really spent you know entered Google not knowing anything and spent my formative years there in Google Dublin back in two thousand and four. And you know like many of the people who kind of joined at that time and years afterwards, like I, had, I was full of qualifications but didn't really know anything in reality. Mm. Um, I ended at the ended up at the end of those three years uh, working for the big digital uh, advertising agencies who are spending tons on Google. And then after that, I kind of got an itching to move over to London and. Um, kind of translated what I was doing into looking after the WPP agency group um, from a sales perspective. So working with their digital teams on, you know, how to use Google, how to use YouTube and, and all of their suite of products, really. Mm. I think back then it was about 2010. It was the kind of the done thing to move from Google to Facebook, managed to get through the, the interviews there and spent another five, six years um, doing a variety of roles, actually. So it was more varied. 
started off in kind of a creative strategy role, working with the top 10 clients in the UK. Then I moved over to B2B marketing. And there, you know, I worked across all, all audiences. So mm-hmm. big agents, big advertisers, ad tech developers, even did a stint in Brazil helping set up the office there. As my Portuguese degree finally came in handy. Right. So at the end of that, I'd done about 12 years, you know, and I think I was kind of done, done. It was like when I came back from Brazil, I did another year or two. I had another year or two in the tank for Facebook. And then my partner is a chef. Right. I said, well, I need to get out of big tech, do something different. What have you got if you put business and food together? Well, a food startup. So we did that for about five, six years. And you know what? It went well. And all the time I was doing marketing consultancy for small businesses. Um, my own business, like our own startup, uh, closed at the beginning of COVID because we pretty much fell out of love with it. And it was very, very difficult working in food. Mm, I can imagine. And then so my consultancy kind of you know went through the roof because everybody was suddenly saying, hey, everything's shut down, but everything's online. How do, how do we do that bit? And I was there to help them. But I kind of felt like I hadn't, you know, I was spending a lot of time imparting knowledge about marketing and working with founders and helping them grow their businesses. But I didn't really feel like I'd kind of learned everything that I wanted to learn. So I jumped back into like inverted commas corporate, but that was really uh, startups. So then I worked for a fintech startup for the guts of a year. Unfortunately, that one didn't work out. The company didn't do too well. Mm-hmm. Oh, I am for I am, which is uh, Weaver.io, which is an early stage series A fintech. Um, my role there is running marketing and PR. So everything from PR down to buttons and buying campaigns and everything in between. Right. And we and we we'll get we'll get onto that in a second. Now, I don't know whether well, just because I'm jealous because I've only worked an agency and I do I am envious of like you, you go, you just walk down Barrow Street and you see the amazing offices and and you know, and it's life's good, they're growing every year. They 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 can't kind of, you know, it's a bit like Pablo Escobar, the money's probably decaying, they're making so much money they need they spend more on elastic bands, that type of analogy. So they're just making so much money. You know what to do with they have been. Um and it's you're surrounded by young people and it's and everyone's really clever. So I think I am just jealous, right? But so it's fair to say that and you've a lot of experience in big tech that li- life in there it, I'm not saying they don't work hard, so don't get me wrong. Say they, I'd say they, they do work quite hard, but it's a pretty sweet deal um, and it's great while it lasts. So you left big tech and then, you know, I, after being in it so long, I'd say it was quite an adjustment to kind of to, to readjust to, uh, yeah, I will say normality because I think life in, in the bubble in big tech is probably not normal. It's not the real world. So I, the analogy I always have, it's a little, it feels, and it could be totally wrong, feels like you, you took animals out of the wild, you put them in some kind of sanctuary and you kind of, they just kind of got pampered and fed their meals every day and it was chilled. And then you kept them there for like 10 years and you say, right, you're going back out again. And you know, how are you, how are you equipped to cope with the world? You got to hunt for your own food and you got to, you got to protect yourself from predators and all that kind of stuff. Um, so just how big an adjustment was it for you to go from, cause it's that time you don't, it's going to be a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm in that boat now. How big an adjustment was, was it for you even psychologically or mentally and, and, and to leave and was it a big decision for you to leave like why did you say because it's a handy number why did you leave in the first place and how big a, a change was it yeah well firstly I love being described as a wild animal um, <laughs> pity it's not it's pity it's not the first time look I, I took the decision to leave because you know I always felt like I had an entrepreneurial spirit spirit and I'd done 12-13 years of big tech and you know I could have carried on and I could have stayed there got more senior got more salary got more benefits and all of those good, good things that come along with it but I just had this itch to do something different you know and I said you know what you know I had a partner I had no other dependents I had I didn't have a high cost base or anything so really the the cost of trying it out wasn't huge so I said you know what go one life give it a go 
But on the point of kind of like the adjustment from big tech to outside, you know, it really is quite marked. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I'll talk about myself in a minute, but I used to always feel sorry for the people coming into big tech from the outside who'd never had a job before. Mm. Like they'd never worked for Google or Facebook or Microsoft or any of the companies that pamper you well. So they had no real frame of reference and didn't know that they were They didn't appreciate the- how good it was, to agree. Exactly. Like I used to call it the Disneyland of the employment scene. Yeah. You're tripping over free kitchens, games rooms, uh, massage uh, massage rooms, left, right and centre. So you know, talk about setting unrealistic expectations for people when they go outside of that world. Yeah. I used to think about the trauma that they must feel. And, you know, I could tell a few stories along that line. Um, you know, these are real life cases of people not realising wasn't actually OK to say, the water bottle in the fridge is filled a little bit too full. Could it have less water? In it? <sighs> or, you know... Could we have had a fifth variety of cereal at breakfast? You know, most luckily, most of us in the company would eye roll. Sometimes we'd have yeah. internal groups see that and roll our eyes going, but they have no idea what they're asking for and why that's unreasonable. Yeah. When I then decided to learn, not learned, but to leave Facebook myself, you know, I had somebody or a few people saying, but how could you give up the amazing benefits and all mm. of that food? And for me, I was like, really, is that the question you're going to ask me? Because for me, it was never really about the benefits. It was, it was nice to have a great restaurant and have all of those uh, great things on top of the salary and the good work. But for me, it was never really the guiding decision. Mm-hmm. I think what Big Tech does really well is build a really strong culture of people that binds you tightly together to a common sense of, you know, yeah. we're all together and we've all got a purpose. And it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're there, you kind of get the idea of, like, you know what? we're the lucky ones. We're in this world. Mm. We're inside, we're on the right, right side of the walls and we're the lucky ones. And to a good extent, they're, they're right. You know, up until recently, that was the stable place. They treated you super well. Yeah. You veered, did company looks good, you know, and they taught you everything of starting off. So, mm. you know, I left back in, uh, 2015 and I think it really took me about a good six months to acclimatize to the outside. You yeah. Know? I can imagine. Yeah. A sense of loss of leaving that the warm confines of big tech, and even though I felt done done with big tech at that point, and I, I know I left the right reasons, there was definitely a sense of looking back and nostalgia, um, and that lasted years, and I probably still have a little bit of a of it now. Yeah, you know, someone once said to me, <clears throat> um, you know, looking back at big tech, where it's probably applicable to any job, is like seeing your old girlfriend or your your old boyfriend. Uh, you remember all the reasons why you loved them, and then you quickly remember why you left. Yeah, mm. yeah, good. So, last thing I'll say is quickly: the drop in salary is marked. Right, that's probably the big thing. I went then to a startup founder, earning uh, for an ent- an annual salary what have, what would have been my bonus at right. Facebook. Yeah, yeah, so that's an adjustment. It's it's good to get that perspective down then and realize, hey, it's not all the good times. Mm. Yeah, and. Like, again, like th- th- there's no doubt because the, the, the stories, and you said it earlier on about, you know, you, you went for an interview and you were lucky enough to get the job. They, they, Google and Facebook particularly have done an, an incredible job as employer brands in the market. So there is a kind of kudos and, a you know, you, I, I've spoken to people and people who were very good and were quite very good in agencies. Um, no agency is small, obviously, compared to Google, but but it would be, it, they'd be pretty important in in a relatively small industry. And then they go for interviews in Google and they're kind of like, oh, I'm not going to get it anyway. I won't get, it's really hard to get a job. So they've created this this kind of cachet about getting getting job in there. Well, I don't know how much of it's true or, or, or whether it is true or whether it's like the whatever seven stages of interviews for senior positions, I don't know. But that is the thing. So you do feel when they, if they approach you, you probably feel like, 
Wow. And, and once you're in, as you say, you probably feel like, well, you know, this is great. I'm, I'm in. I'm on the right side of the, of the door, as you said. So I think it'd be hard to leave that. They, and they've hoovered up talent from the market. We've seen loads of people go from agencies. Um, I'm really good. Some good people, some not so good. Like It is what it is. But my question is around talent then. So look, everybody who's going to go through a lot of gates of interviews has got to be smart, right? Is a smart, you got to be smart to get, it doesn't mean you're going to be good and you might not have a lot of cop on, but you got to be smart. Um, but once you're then in the bubble, do you think that you just become really, really, really good at doing a very, very narrow um, piece of work for, and it's not even just a very narrow specialist, it's a very narrow specialist piece of work within a one platform wall garden. So are people ultimately I always felt people were overqualified, the people going in and they were going to kind of, their brain was going to rot away because they're way too qualified for what was ultimately their capabilities in, in terms of the job they were going to do. So with a narrow scope of work or specialism, do you think people are overqualified and ultimately overpaid for this? Um, and and what, once you're so qualified, you you know this then, how how do you go, how do you go back out into the world? Like, are, are you kind of do you have to be retrained then? Because it, depending on what area you're in, I know it's different, but like, you know, that you're such a specialist. What do you think about that? Did you find that hard? Yeah, sure. You know, well, there's a lot to unpack there, right? You touched on the interviews. Sure. Yeah. The interviews are, are tricky. I had six at Google, one in Portuguese, because I put it on my CV. So he trotted the Brazilian guy to, to grill oh, me, right? Dear. I hope you weren't um, spoofing that one then, were you? <laughs> but that was the one thing I could do. Yeah, uh, cool. And then I had... And for Facebook, so it's tough, and there's a badge of honor of getting through, and you, you definitely feel, you know, uh, pr uh, some pride that you that you got there. Like in terms of the scope, I think it depends on a few things. Um, the first thing I'll say is it depends on the growth stage of the big tech firm. You know, I was lucky to to join both of those companies I mentioned early on when, when they were small, and like it was at the stage that everything needed to be done. And they're the times that I I loved, and when mm. I learned most, the times I miss most because what you did was really needed. There was a lot changed frequently, but it was genuinely exciting because you're, you know, the companies are growing at a at a at a, at a clip, and it was really exciting to change job every six months and just just build stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then the company the companies grew, they hired in the troops. Your role then started to narrow as I had more people in, and then they could hire more people to go deeper in certain areas. Mm. For me, it was a point that they started hiring the consultants, particularly at Google. That for me kind of marked the the beginning of the end for me going. Ah, we're now big company level. Uh, there's a lot more success and it's less about the fun stuff. But in terms of qualifications, you know, for people coming in, um, they often had to adjust to being a VP or a director or fancy signing title on the outside and then coming in to big tech and have a, having a less shiny title on the inside. For example, a director outside, a manager inside, and probably having a lot less scope than they had before, but, you know, have been able to go a lot deeper in it. So, mm. Title, I always thought, you know, that might be a little bit of an adjustment. But then I think, you know, the money was probably better and that probably made up for it, right? And the benefits yeah. to be. But on the on the point of kind of scope refinement, um, you know, I mentioned it already, big tech can be great for going deep into an area. If I think about when I was a B2B marketer at Facebook, I was focused exclusively on brand marketing on a particular audience in a particular region. And so I learned a lot about doing that to those people in that space. So global programs, being you know, creative campaigns, running events and more. But now as a B2B marketing marketer on the outside and in startup land where I'm kind of running the show marketing wise, um, what I was doing at Facebook would probably only really relate to about 30% of the role that I'm covering right now. Right. And that might be 
useful for others. Like the guys on my team focus in different areas, but I have a much, much broader area. And I had to adjust and I had to learn and kind of remind myself about some of the things that I knew before. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a case of on the outside then brushing up some areas, figuring out what I kind of need to know to be able to translate my skills into somewhere else. Mm. Um figuring out how you do that. And it's not easy. No, no, I can imagine it's not easy. And and, and look, as we talked about, there's, there's a lot of people like, and I know a lot of people that are, that are going to be let go. And I do feel for, I, I do feel sorry for the people. I, as I said, it's, I don't really feel that sorry for, I, I'd love, I'd love if Dentsu had some of the financial woes that, that, um, you know, Google, Facebook have in terms of revenue and the turnover. Uh, there's plenty of people would, would kill for their problems, but on a human level and you make friends and everything, you know, you've got, you've got a, you've got a friend network in, in, in your company, you've grown, you've been in there for a long time. So it's not nice. And I'm, I'm not trying to be facetious about, you know, you'll be all right, but Anyone who's in in engineering or any of those roles, I think they'll be fine. It's good in your CV. You're building stuff. You're doing stuff. And um, the people I worry about are people who were in sales jobs. And you you probably helped me out here because you know a bit more about this. Um, and you put this in your article. Actually, you wrote this in your article. You're saying it's it's not really a sales job. You you refer to it as it's a it's kind of revenue collection job. So tell me a little bit about that. Sure, I don't think I could have put it quite as strongly as that. But yeah, I'm paraphrasing. It sounds better the way I said it. <laughs> But it's uh, definitely uh, true to a certain extent. So I think my friends there and uh, Meta and Google would grumble at me for saying something like that. Um, but the, it's right. The, the money does come in. I think I probably call it that. The more shepherders or shepherds now is the name right. of hunters. Yeah. Um, but look, what I'll say is that the early stages of both of those tech companies is definitely a sales job. Like you had to sell. You had, the company wasn't proven. You had to bring the revenue in. But then when the revenues kind of started taking off, you knew that the revenue was going to come to you because the advertiser needed to use you like it, they mm. worked. So it's no surprise that now most of these big platforms have a self-service platform where you go to the website, you log in, you book the ads yourself, you run them, you optimize them. Um, so the revenue comes in and the sales roles are turned, we evolved more then to a relationship management and education and mm. leadership impartment kind of roles. As the money's coming in, in the background anyway, right? Yeah. But where I felt it most was when I left Google and went to Facebook. Um, at that point in the growth stage, um, you know, I'd gone from a role at Google where I was meeting clients and agencies, telling them about new products, new research. Hey, YouTube's great, all those kind of things. And it helped sell. But then joining a Facebook was a bit of a shock. You know, I think there was 300 million people on the platform. There's now over 2 billion or whatever. Yeah. It was absolutely at the point of, we have to prove the platform. Remember the mantra was prove that Facebook works. So the sales team were absolutely selling and I saw it as a different kind of selling, right? Uh, and I was in a creative role and working alongside those guys. And so it was absolutely uh, much harder. It wasn't guaranteed that the money was going to come to you. Could have gone to another platform. Mm. And so, you know, we weren't a must have at that point. But again, for me, selfishly, that was, that was fun. Yeah. For me, it was all about feeling crucial, feeling needed. And that's really something that I've looked for in any jobs I've taken since. Yeah. And again, I mean, you're right at the start, because everything start, you have to, you, you, there's more of a sale in it. But then I see this with clients all the time, right? So if, if Google and Facebook want to meet any of our clients, they literally can't get into them quick enough. And and the name books the meeting for you. And I think we, we talked about that before, and that's something that you said. Um, and that, so do, do people... How do I phrase it? Do people, when they're in 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 Google and Facebook, do they kind of um, are they aware that it's that 
they're they're booking these meetings because it's it's a logo. It's it's the Google and Facebook that's booking the meetings. It's not them. It's not their sales skills necessarily. It's an open door. Um, is, is that is that something that is kind of people are consciously aware of in there, or 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 do they think no, I'm I'm killing it here. Look, I got access to this client, that client. I'm meeting all these people. And and do you think is that a readjustment when you go out? You know, if you if you're working in smaller companies, trying to get a meeting with people. Rory Sutherland talks about this kind of fame, and Google and Facebook are unbelievably famous. So fame is a kind of general lubricant for good luck. People. People ring you. You don't have to ring them. People reach out to you. People want to partner with you. You don't have to reach out. It's a hard slog if you're if you if you don't have any fame. You got to be the one chasing. So, what is that like? Are people? You know, is that fair comment for me to say that the logos book the meetings with people? You would have known with, with WPP. I'm sure you got into them whenever you wanted to. And poor old people in the Guardian or ITV couldn't get a meeting with them. Yeah, for sure, absolutely, hundred percent. You know, first of all, I'll admit that when I was <clears throat> working back there, you know, I was young enough back then to not really realize that it was a logo that was getting me the meetings. Mm. You know, the reality is when I was a food business owner on the outside and trying to raise funds or pitch to investors, you know, I was a nobody then. Um, or, you know, more recently trying to hire talent into my company now that people generally haven't heard of. Um, to give an example, you know, in big tech, a sales or marketing person, you know, you've said it, they don't really have to think too hard about how they approach someone to tee up a meeting. Mm. It's less about thinking, well, what's the audience's motivations? How do I tap into that? How do I craft an approach that will get them on the hook and reel them in and get me that meeting? It's more with Google or Facebook or Microsoft or anyone on, on your email. They will take that call, of course, mm. if you're a big tech. Whereas in, in startup marketing now, you know, on the outside working in a smaller company, I, I can't slip into people's DMs quite no. as easily like the brand behind me. Our sales guys have to be hungrier and craftier. So both of us, you know, that team and my team are collectively obsessing about how do we identify the value mm. to the person contacting and really make it about them so that they will say, I'll take that meeting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a lot harder. Um, but I enjoy the challenge. You know, it's mm. um, earning that response is ultimately more satisfying. Obviously, sometimes I think, oh, I can't wait for us to be bigger so that it's easier. Mm. Um, but we'll get there one day. You know, conversely, funnily enough, actually, I got an invitation from Google yesterday to a consultation on ads um, without any prior discussion, right? They just went bosh right into my inbox right. with, uh, with the thing. And I remember thinking, why are you only doing that because you're Google and you know that I'll sit up and pay attention? Yeah. That's my little bit of a t- tiny drop of arrogance in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and look, they, as I say, I mean, I can criticize or, or you know but they've done a phenomenal job and there's no doubt about that and they have done and, and the, the thing about them is everybody, the media owners will complain about about the fact that, you know, they hoover up too much money for it. But like nobody's forced to use them. And that's the thing. So it's completely voluntary. Um, you know, there's some, there's some they've done a good job, right? So that's it. Now while while being let go is not a good thing, right? It's it's and having to readjust is, is a is a tough time. But like you, what we're gonna talk about, you you've got some hopes. So there will be quite a lot of people who either know somebody or themselves have been in are in this situation at the moment. Um so there is no getting away from the fact you said it earlier on your salary is going to decline and you just got to bite the bullet on that one and and just enjoy and I hope you've been kind of prudent with this, the great salary you got for the last few years but it'll drop a little bit no, not to say it can't go back up but it will drop but but moving away from that what are the benefits of of going back in and working with a startup that you found so you know in terms of the parking salary and perks forget all that and day to day like you know you, you mentioned earlier on about 
your contribution. It's hard to see the contribution you make, I would imagine, in, in Google or Facebook. I mean, you could probably say, oh, I'm going to take the next month off and it would still go on. Revenue would still come in. Again, probably being facetious. But like when you're not in, if you take a week off in your job, there's things that aren't being done. So w- what is that? If anyone's listening and they're kind of feeling a bit worried or they know somebody or their partner or their friend, um, try and give them a bit of positivity now. What's great about going out of big tech and into startups from your perspective? Well, I can really only talk about that from my perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're very much a different kettle of fish. I mentioned earlier that I like the feeling of feeling crucial, right? I need to be needed. You talked about, you know, <clears throat> being at Google or Facebook and then, you know, whether you turn up or not, doesn't matter. I remember on the way out from my job at Google, my director asked, well, look, you've got four programs. Who should take them over? And I flippantly said, ah, sure, it doesn't matter if you turn them off. <laughs> yeah, it didn't really, didn't really mean that, you know? Yeah. But now... For me, it's it's a it's a two-edged sword, right? The, the feeling crucial. So literally, if I do not turn up for work and I do not make our marketing programs successful in the startup that I am at, you're jeopardizing the longevity of the company and mm-hmm. its ability to raise funds or or even go on. So you definitely get that feeling of being crucial in space. Um, but the other side of it is you are crucial, right? Yeah. So you have to be of the mindset that you are up for the responsibility and the accountability of taking the role where the expectations are that you will deliver. There's a number up there and you have to hit it. Mm. Not really where, like in some cases in big tech, it's like, well, you didn't hit your number. We'll just try a little bit harder next next, uh, mm, yeah. next quarter. If you don't hit the number, it's really the, the, the ability to raise that series B at that valuation or that series C or, or you know, to ensure that the company can keep on growing at, at a tra- trajectory. So, you know, if that's the kind of, environment that you want to walk into after big tech, then, you know, you get that in spades. Another thing that I'd say about um, startups is, you know, a big tech or working in a marketing role, you know, you get to work on big programs that can be quite, you know, well known within the industry. If they do well, they might have a long payback window for like 12 months for that to come to fruition. Mm. I am not the kind of person who can sit around for 12 months. Mm. You know, fairly impatient person, results driven. It's not to say bigger people or bigger programs don't show results, but um, the point is that you get a much faster feedback loop on what you're working on. Right, you know, yeah, yeah. You see those results quickly, and you have to see those results quickly because you need to know whether you carry on or you change track. Um, so if you're the kind of person who enjoys that immediate feedback loop on what you're working uh, working on, then you know it's, it's a good place to be. It's a good place to be, yeah. And I guess then as well, because... Um, you know, when you're in Google, you 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 have your deep specialist. We talked about it earlier on. You 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 have a specialist thing that you're selling, or you're you're a deep expert on on that thing. And and outside of Google, for so you kind of have to be more generalist. And it's a it's a thing about in agencies as well. Like because even the, the way agencies, my side of the business, are constructed, you have, um, yes, we have to have specialists with 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 unbelievably detailed specialist knowledge of of certain channels and tactics. But then, and I find sometimes with with, with those type of people that it's hard for them to see beyond, and this is even in the agency, you're not even talking about Google, it's hard for them to kind of look beyond their specialism. They, they they struggle. It's quite a blinkered view of things. They struggle to see a bigger picture or how everything works together. They're really only concerned about their own channel and their own kind of piece of that overall media plan. So you, I, I guess you've got to be more of a generalist um, when you're when you're in startup. And do you enjoy that more of a generalist? Or is that maybe not for everybody? So again, back to your experience, are you kind of doing more general, more generalist things and having to, your range of your job is far more broad now? And do you enjoy that? And do you think it's kind of 
roll, it's kind of like roll your sleeves and get stuck in a bit more. Is that something that you that you've particularly enjoyed? And you know, I think I'd I'd like that. But what is that generalist specialist kind of difference? Yeah, you've you hit the nail on the head. Firstly, you've got to enjoy that. You've got to want that kind of role because I, I can't think of any role, you know, particularly in marketing in a startup where you were not working on a thousand things at any one time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like my boss always says, you have got 15 things where somebody else has a quote, you've got 15 things that might kill you and you can only work on five of them. So it's about yeah. roof prioritization, right? So absolutely, I, I enjoy that aspect of rolling sleeves up. You know, it's not to say that you can't do that from big tech startup, you can. You're just going to have to look at the areas that you may have, you know, the muscles you may have flexed before going into big tech or in previous roles in big tech and, you know, strengthen them to understand that that depth you had in one area, you know, to lift that up. It's super valuable for where you're going, but actually you need to spread it across many different areas and be able to spin a number of plates at any one time, right? Mm. Also, Understanding that, you know, you will be both strategizing, scratching your chin, thinking about what needs to happen, but then also be expected to go and push the buttons at the end, right? Mm. You'll be pushing the buttons in many cases because you don't have a glistening bench of lovely agencies like Dentsu who will necessarily do the work for you, right? Mm. Uh, you will have some agencies, hopefully, but in, in many, many times you don't. And so you've just got to be comfortable with knowing that it's everything from strategy down to doing the actual work across, you know, with quite a lot of breadth and not the resource that you had available. And it, it takes a certain kind of person to be able to be comfortable with rolling up the sleeves mm. and being able to ruthlessly prioritize. And, you know, people in big tech will say, hey, but we ruthlessly prioritize as well. But I'm like, no, you you really have to because yeah. you have the option to boil, the foundations to lay, the walls to build and the roof to build all at the same time. And nobody to help, really. You yeah, haven't got teams. You can't outsource everybody. So when, when you... And again, because we can only talk about your experience, but like when you left, did you, did you have to, did you invest in yourself? Did you have to upskill yourself or did you, because, you know, again, and I don't mean to be disrespectful to anybody who's in Google or Facebook, they're fine jobs, but it's easier. So that's a hard sell. You don't have to get, so had you forgotten things when you went to, did you, or like, did you have to sharpen your, your pitching skills, your sales skills, your general marketing skills? Did you have to do that? Did you have to invest in yourself? Um, or did you just kind of, was it muscle memory? You, you remembered it after a certain while. But in that readjustment, talking about the actual readjustment, what did you do to try and get yourself match fit for being a, a, an all-rounder, as it were? Yeah, so I had to do quite a lot of upskilling, remembering what uh, things that I knew before, like to bring it down to brass tacks. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, When I left Google, I was you know, a super expert in their ad platform, all their products. I knew how to use them. Went to Facebook, clearly. We didn't use Google's products, right? Mm. But then when and I went out into the market and I was selling myself as a consultant to small businesses. They need to know how, well, they need to use all of these tools. And so I had to remember everything that I'd forgotten about Google and self-learn, you know, go and do the online trainings. But I actually, funnily enough, had been part of the team building when I left Google. Right. You know? um, and that's just one point. But then honestly, you know, both consulting and then when you're joining startup, you know, Google's your friend. You'll spend a lot of your day doing, how do I do this again? Right. Mm. So I'm not saying it's fake it till you make it and, and sell it that you can do it and then figure out how to do it. But honestly, there's threads of that in there, right? Um, be it doing consulting or when you go into a uh, tech startup, uh, doing some of that to uh, to make sure that you can actually cover that breadth, right? And what I'd advise people to do is, you know, speak to people who've made that transition and find out what were the biggest adjustments for them. I'm giving you some of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, look at the job descriptions. What you probably most notice is, 
you know, that marketing job in startup has got some of the elements of the role, which might have been done by somebody that reported to you or an agency. Um, figure out the commonalities and then go see how you can how you can learn those uh, mm. things and be upfront when you go to the interview saying, I don't know them, but have a plausible reason as to, you know, how you'd be able to learn that quickly and, and get back up to speed on that. Mm. So uh, it's this translation of that, that depth uh, to a breadth and then, you know, identifying the weak areas and figuring it out. And figuring it out. And so Im- imagine, because you've gone for interviews and you've gone for interviews in, in big tech um, and there's an art to to interviewing. Um, so if anyone is listening and they are, they're going to have to go out and start interviewing for, for smaller companies, um, what are the type of things, how different is an interview process? So like, again, it's probably going back to the generalist especially. So what, what are, the, what are the, the things, imagine it's in a startup if you were interviewing somebody now, what would you be looking to hear from them? Um, you know, so are there things you might be expected to be looking for, you might know going into a startup um, interview that you wouldn't be expected to know for going for an interview in Google or Facebook? You know what I mean? What are, what are the type of things that people might have to be paying a bit more attention to if they're going to try and get themselves uh, look more employable to people in, in startups? Yeah, I think it comes back to the previous question, which was, you know, the soft skills and the hard skills, right? Mm-hmm. You are facing an interviewer like myself at a startup who's evaluating you for a marketing role. You know, we're going we're gonna to assume that, sure, you know how to do the strategy and the thinking and build great plans. And you're probably actually really disciplined in terms of how to operate in a large company environment where you've got to you know, have great discipline around meeting planning, meeting follow-up. And, and how to interact and drive products forward. So projects forward. So you know, we know you're going to have that. Uh, but then it's the point about going, right, well, we're going to love that plan that you pitch. It's going to be really creative and it's great. What we're not going to do now is outsource that to three different agencies. Mm. We're going to say, cool. So can you jump into LinkedIn and build that campaign? Can you write that email? Um, so again, it comes back to brushing up on those different areas. Mm. But no... Uh, for the people going for interviews from big tech to startup, you know, I'd give a few pieces of advice, right? Yeah. And it's actually, it's actually broader than just the skills. Right? Firstly, you know, I talked about good news. You know, it's not too dissimilar for how you prep for big tech. Your skills are 100% applicable. We've talked about a few gaps you might want to brush up on. But all of the things that I mentioned around discipline are, are incredibly useful for when you go to startup. Like, how do you approach a meeting? How do you engage stakeholders? How do you build a team? And you motivate a team. I've noticed in my journey through startups and working with them, you know, I've been surprised, oh, that, that thinking of how you do those things is not embedded in, in these companies all the way through. But I think there's um, like other areas that I need to think about. You know, when you're join- joining a startup, it's not just about the job you're going in for. You need to also have an appreciation of the company that you're joining and the founders who are leading it, right? Yeah. So we talk about for a little, you know, my experience was I left Facebook. I went to set up my own food business. That failed. Yeah. And to a, uh, a previous fintech, um, probably didn't ask all the questions that I did, but I asked a few that I should have, but I asked a few questions around how much money do you have in the bank? How long can you last if you don't take any more revenue in? And I got some answers. Unfortunately, that business failed. So right. bet your bottom dollar when I approached my company right now, I was evaluating the founders to think, have these guys done this before? Do they have a proven track record they did? Because you need to know, is this their first rodeo? Right. And if it is rodeo, do they have a good cabal of people around them who are supporting them? Um, I think there's something around, uh, well, nine out of 10 startups typically fail. Mm. And a very 
percentage actually get to unicorn one percent of belief right and 80 percent of it's 18 percent of founders are doing it for the first time so if you're going to put the uh, connect or what was the word if you're going to attach your uh cart to that horse you need to know who that horse is and who's driving that horse right fair yeah but what might happen is you join that startup and it all seems great on the way in and the founders are great take the culture is great take the company seems good it seems like the product is is uh is scaling well but they might only have six months money in the tank mm. and so the they're all might come crashing down after that mm. so you need to need to suss these things out on the way in to make sure that you're joining somewhere for hopefully a longish time right yeah yeah so but yeah it's very different in terms of things you look for the things you 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 need to not just prep for the interview but the, the due diligence you need to do yourself in terms of going into that space yeah um like you don't you, you never went to the uh, Microsoft interview and said to the recruiter, "Hey, how much money do we have yeah. in the bank?" It's, yeah, the last can we can't keep up. We can't. It's 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 changing every second. Um, and, product market fit. Um, you know, if we take no more, more revenue, how long can you last? It's not the kind yeah. of things you're ever going to think about, but it's suddenly the reality of startup land. And are they are they all right questions to ask? Like, would 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 are they would would somebody who's interviewing you um, be okay? Would they say, oh, "Jesus, he's." Um, you know, he's asking I, I think, very tough questions. Are, are they good questions or bad questions to show? They show you've done a bit of work, but they're, they're sensible questions. So would a sensible question, you know, sensible questions are not always appreciated because they don't, you know, it depends on what the answer is. But would would that be looked on if you were to do that kind of due diligence that you find in your experience that asking those sort of questions was a positive thing for you in in, in that process? As in you looked, they they want, they, they like to look at you even more because you're asking the right questions or is it, oh, don't hire this fella, he's asking loads of really difficult questions now leave my, you know, well, is there any questions you shouldn't ask? And that, and that is, is, I guess what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, well, the questions you shouldn't ask, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to have a little think about that one, right? But, but it's um, okay to ask those type of questions. It'll be straight yeah. up, I mean, straight up and go, right, what, you know, how, how much money have you got in the bank and, and what's the plan and kind of, it's okay asking those questions if you find yourself in that position in a startup, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. you evaluate your audience as well, right? But I yeah. think part of the interview process is not them just evaluating you, but you're evaluating them. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah. If, you know, you're, you're respectful in the way you're asking the questions, it shows A, that you're the kind of person who is commercially aware and understand yeah, that's what i would imagine yeah that you've got your 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 you are the type of person that's going to add value to that business because you're thinking you may be going into a specific role in a certain area be it marketing or whatever the case would be but you're commercially um sensible and which is look everybody has to be commercial in an organization if you, if you don't know anything about the commercial side yeah. of things you're doomed um but yeah it's, it's just more important in startups yeah i mean it also shows that you understand the reality of a startup mm-hmm. um yeah right ride right depending obviously on the stage of the startup you might have 100 million in the bank you might have two um but also you know as you the interviewee evaluating the interviewer and the company you know their response to you asking that questions will tell you quite a lot right yeah 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 so you can pick up quite a lot from that um yeah and it's funny on the on the because uh, I, I read i don't know who because i know loads of people who either um are kind of their partner or friends or stuff are, are are in this at the moment and I was reading it I read it I don't know where it was in the Irish Times or something um, but one of the big tech I don't remember whether it was Sundar or, or Mark Zuckerberg I can't remember but basically there was this kind of an all hands addressing the floor and going you know we have a lot of shit people here 40% of people have to go you got to pull your socks up and, and it kind of got into the you remember remember when when we did it for the love of it type of thing which I which I, I thought was just 
utterly ridiculous that 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 whoever it was would even go there because I think I think that we're in it together. We're a family. We're a startup. That works at the start. You can't really hold on to that when you're turning over whatever two hundred fifty three hundred billion annual revenue. You lose that sense of the plucky upstart, and you know we're all in it together. And the expectation on people that you you work mad hours and all for the for for the benefit of the company because then if you're in early everyone wins you get a payoff if you're there from the early days of the of a startup and, and it becomes a unicorn you will probably benefit from that so it, I thought it was a bit naive to kind of to 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 talk about to talk startup and for the love of it language and when I know they've been paying mad money to people to get them in the door so what's your view on that what's if, are, from your view or your kind of understanding of of friends who you may have in Facebook or Google at the moment. How do, I'd feel a little bit peeved if, if they were saying we're cutting back on travel entertainment and we're laying loads of people off because I'd be thinking, I mean, how much money you got to make? What's the mood? What's it gone like? What has it gone down like on, on the floor, as it were, from people you know the mood? And I know you're not there now, but just what's your sense of how that's been received? Well, the, the timing of that question couldn't be any better, right? With another 10,000 yeah. people laid off by Zaka, the Meta just announced, I think it's 21,000 people in all now, 25% of the entire workforce. Um, you know, what, what I'm hearing from my contacts there is, you know, they're scared. Yeah. If you saw the announcement yesterday, you know, they said they're going to phase those layoffs with engineering first, well, recruitment first, I believe, yeah. then engineering, and then May. So imagine hearing yesterday that you're in the commercial team and those layoffs are going to hit in May. Um, you've got two months of anxiety, mm. months of anxiety, just trying to f- figure out if you're at, or find out if you're going to be like, yeah, uh, yeah. like up to the last layoffs. So the mood is... Uh, fraught from my pool of friends, mm-hmm. right? Um, and unfortunately, some of them were let go. Um, but I, you know, you were talking about uh, coming for the love of the money, and is it naive to think that you can hold on to that as you scale up to billions, you know, hundreds of billions of revenue? And, you know, I agree. I think Zuck's own comments are that they are too big, they hire too many people, now they need to flatten the organization, as you said. Uh, I think it's interesting that you said this time, that as economic factors as a reason why they ended up having to reduce headcount. No, mm. nothing to his or his team's decisions, right? Yeah. But look, you know, in terms of, you know, people's attitudes to, yeah, I am there for the mission and I absolutely love it and I've got purpose versus I am there now when the company is much bigger and I just love the, the money for the, the role and the remuneration. Mm. Look, I think in these companies, you know, they start off as a mission, it's a rallying point. Of course, yeah. People work in those missions and attracts the right people for those missions. But as it becomes big tech, I think it's reasonable to assume that, you know, people will then join for a broader range of reasons other than I love what they're doing. I want to be part of that. You know, some of my people might join for that reason. Yeah. might because it's a high growth experience they might purely say it's because well not purely but additionally because it's pre-ipo right yeah, but yeah. i think tech and your post-ipo um you know stability is great if you've got a family or a high cost base right and i think it's fair mm. for people you know partly why i'm here or partly why i'm still here 14 years later is because it's a good gig i enjoy my job i like the people i like the company but it's stability and i've got a, i've got kids in school mm. and yaddy yeah. so you know maybe the the company can take a little back seat in that case and i think it's uh and i think it's fair for people to to evolve to feeling like that mm. um i'm not going to keep you much longer but i have a question now so you're in um and 
again, you know people there, so this is not with any, this is general, and maybe uh, as a caveat, let's exclude the people that you know because you know them personally, but generally, say there's a lot of people on Google and Facebook, so you've done big tech and you've done startups. How employable do you think that people who've been in Google or Facebook are now if they're, if they're back, if they've been there a long time, would you see their experience as being a good thing? Because right? as we said earlier on, they've got to be smart to get in there in the first place. But would you, if you were hiring people now, would you say, it's oh yeah, that's great, there's going to be people, they're, they're brilliant. Would you would you see them because they had to be smart to get in? Or would, or would you look at them and go, well, you know what, I, I just don't know if everyone who's in there because things are a bit pampered, they mightn't have sharp, they might have lost a bit of their their hunger, they've forgotten things. Would you take a chance on people? Do you think Google and Facebook now, if you were hired, would be a positive thing? Would you be look, would you, would you be looking to recruit people into your company, for example? Yeah, hundred percent. I'd love it if they'd knock my door. Um, I think the economic reality of uh, the package might make them go, hmm, maybe I'll say in big tech. Yeah. Well, if they've no choice, if they leave big tech and they get a bit of a redundancy check and they go and you know, they've done all right, um, but they just find themselves back in the workplace. So you you would say. They train people well. They're, even if they have a very narrow, you know, field of specialism, they they can broaden those horizons, and and they'd be still a hugely valuable asset to a company. Well, that's that's a good thing. Um, so, 100%. what I just say on that though is like the skills that they have are incredibly valuable, right? Yeah. And to say they they're not is getting it wrong. It's yeah. just really about applicable or translatable those domain specific by domain. I mean, company specific skills are on the outside. Like I think if those specific, those skills that they have built uh, built up at that company are really specific to that company, you can have a hard time. But if you've built up really good skills around B2B marketing, that is 100% mm. applicable to companies outside. And so I'd be like, absolutely come mm. in and send you. Yeah, and you're right because there's, okay, you might be operating within a platform, but you're, a lot of skills will be transferable. Like and even maybe if you're a search expert and saying, if you're a search expert, those skills are trans- transferable to Amazon, you know, in terms of platform, in terms of how you optimize and it, they're very relatable and transferable. Um, just before we go, what are you doing at the moment? So it's Weaver. Can you just talk to me about what, do you want to just give me a little bit of an overview of what, what the company is, where you're based, what are you doing? And then what, what, what's your, this, and this might be a long question, like what's, what's your, what are you doing day to day in terms of just give me a feel of, of the role in terms of the, the, the plucky startup. So what, what's it, what is it again? What are you doing? And um, what's your week look like? Yeah. So the company is called Weaver.io. So it's W-E-A-V-R.io. Um, and we are about three, four years old. Uh, we're Series A startup, raised a bunch of cash last year. Um, and we work in fintech, so a financial technology company, and we work in embedded finance. So embedded finance is when you are a, say, a software business, and it's, you're non-financial, but you want to bring financial services into your package. Right, okay. So for example, you might, be, um, you might be an employee benefits platform, and what you want to do is be able to move money around that platform and give your employees cards to be able to buy the benefits that they want. Okay. You can't do the financial bit yourself. You use us and we make that happen for you. Um, and we work in the Eurozone, the UK, and we're, we've expanded to Singapore and the, the rest of the world is our oyster, right? Um, so you're, ba- it, you're, based in, you're based in Ireland? No, actually, I'm based in London. So oh, okay. But we are a remote first company. We've got quite a lot of people in Malta. I don't know if we've got any people in Ireland actually just yet, but we've got people all, all around Europe. Um, the headquarters London with a significant base in Malta. The two founders, uh, Alex and Adrian, are both Maltese. Right. Um, on a day-to-day basis, like I'm doing, I'm doing everything with ruthless prioritization, right? So everything from PR down to brand programs, writing content, emails. I have a team of uh, three people. And I say where I spend most of my own personal time is PR, which is something I hadn't done that yeah, much yeah. of. 
Facebook or Google, but actually I realize I really love it. Um, so I work a lot with our, our great PR agency on that. Um, and then I spend a lot of time um, putting the foundations of what is this demand generation machine, getting to grips. And this is something I had to, to learn when I left uh, Big Tech was CRM, mm. automation, pipeline, tracking, all of that fancy stuff that I've got a very clever person who who take, takes care of that. So at any day, I'm, say I'm spitting myself across PR, content, demand generation, and then like 15,000 things on top. Right. Okay. And um, so for anyone, so anyone who's listening, they're a bit worried. They may be saying, I'm not sure I'm going to have a job in May. Um, what's, what's your, what's your kind of, um, words of, of hope for them in terms of, cause you, and again, only your experience versus you seem happier. Are you happier that you're out of big tech? Um, you seem more, um, I don't know, the job is more rewarding and fulfilling for you. So give people listening who are worried a little bit of kind of positivity before we end. Yeah, absolutely. Look, on the personal front, I was always a person hankering after that that small company feel and feeling crucial and the short the shortcut to impact that you could see. And so that this has worked for me ending up where I am because the big tech companies got big. I didn't get so much of that. So mm. if you're like me and you want some of that, the good news is that there's tons of roles out there for you in startup land. That's not the only place you need to go. Um, and you'll find that elsewhere as well. So uh, loads of jobs out there and your CVs from big tech are, are you're very employable. Yeah. You'd be in high demand. Yeah. I mean, I, I fully expect everyone will do. They'll all be I'll okay. Even, don't get despondent. You know, mm. you have a lovely relationship with the company. You had the warm and fuzzies going in with your swag and everything. You, you've made loads of friends. You probably met your partner there. So yeah. you did. And then suddenly, you know, you either couldn't log into your laptop or you got the email saying, ah, oh, thanks, but bye. Right. See ya. Yeah. Yeah. It feels cold on the way out. But what I say is, you know, believe in yourself, shrug it off yeah. um, and start speaking to people, working in your network. And suddenly you realize there is so much opportunity out mm. there. Yeah. It's tough. Let's ignore, ignore that. But uh, work your network, uh, find out the skills that, you know, it might be a good reset for you in terms of thinking about the areas that you actually really wanted to work in, but ended up going down a different path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now is your time to recalibrate what you want to do, speak to the right people. And you know what? I find every single job after big tech through through my network. Right. Um, so that would be my advice. Believe in yourself, work your network, and you know, now's the time to focus on what you might really want to do. Okay. Well, you know that was that's that's awesome, and I, I, yeah, I really enjoyed chatting. I'm I'm a lifer in this in in my company, but this company's changed so much. Um, myself, I kind of feel like I've had. 10 different jobs so that's wise words so um adam thank you for joining me today thanks for making the time and it's it were we are recording this day before patrick's day so um and it's not noisy outside i told people because there's there's free drink going around in here so i think people are going to be running i thought they'd be making a racket but they we've got it recorded before anything happens so um thanks for joining me thanks for making time today Brilliant. Thanks so much, Dave. And happy Paddy's Day. Yes, yes. You too. Have a good day. And thanks to everyone for listening. And if you enjoyed that episode, why not listen back to our ever-growing back catalogue of, I don't know, 90-odd now at this stage. You'll find them by simply typing Irish Times Inside Marketing into your search engine of choice. Thanks to Andrea and Sound and Care and Marketing. And thanks, as always, to our partners, Irish Times Media Solutions. So until next time, stay safe. The Inside Marketing Podcast. Brought to you by Dentsu and Irish Times Media Solutions.